So getting refund means that you're basically, if you put too much tax in with no credits, for example, say you're single and you put, you had too much withheld from your income, you're loaning the government money without getting interest, basically. So when you go to the bank and get a loan, banks make money off of interest. So you pay your principal back plus interest. That's how banks get paid. Well, the government is basically loaning your money to the government without the government paying you interest. So it's an interest-free loan to the government, in other words. Welcome, everyone, to Wild Talks Podcast, where we're exploring ways to have meaningful conversations and less awkward conversations about money while gaining tips to go further with our money. I am your host, Jason Alexander, and this is episode number seven. I'm also here with a guest host, the county and tax doctor, Dakota Grady. Dakota, tell us a little bit about you being the county and tax doctor. So thank you, Jason. So my business is Upstate Essential Solutions in Greenville, South Carolina, and I offer accounting, taxes, advisory, and personal finance solutions to primarily nurse practitioner entrepreneurs so they can focus on patient care. But I have clients in different industries as well, but mostly on my niche, I'm trying to focus on nurse practitioner entrepreneurs so they can focus on, again, patient care. I have a client who was one of my first clients. She is a mother, a wife. She has a business. She teaches and she doesn't have time to learn accounting taxes. So <laughs> I came in and filled the gap for her so she can have more time to do what she wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So, um, so then before I get started, let's have a word from our sponsor, Wallet Coach. Have you been wondering how to get your money right? Stressing every month with never ending lists of financial demands? Or are you just tired of not knowing where all your money is going? Did you know that Wallet Coach has a solution? Wallet Coach offers one to one coaching sessions to get your money back into shape. Wallet Coach was formed to help everyday people get financially secure and free by teaching a four step approach to money management. Our favorite testimony is one client who saved up $1,000 as an emergency fund within six months while only making $1,800 a month. If you are curious how WallaCoach can help you in similar ways, sign up for a free 15-minute consultation on our website, thewalletcoach.com. That's thewalletcoach.com. Or text the word COACH to 470-606. 8949 to get a link to schedule. Now back to the show. So one of our segments for the show is reading off or highlighting comments from a prior episode from our fans. So in episode number five, we had a comment that came through and it reads, it was from Miss Christina. She wrote, Tiffany said, Tiffany, I listened to episode five of Wallet Talks this past morning. My first listen, beautiful. She spells it out, B-E-A-U-T-I-F-U-L. It's all I can say. May you and Jason continue to bear much fruit. P.S. I'll catch up and continue to listen as well as share. So thank you, Ms. Christina, for your your kind words. We appreciate it, right? Um, So if you want your comment to be read live on the show, just add a comment right Dakota just add a comment (laughs) show us engage with us so we can have some uh, dialogue and you might be on the show so 
Um, the next item on our in our show is we like to go into what happens in the in in in, in our week and things like that. And uh, I'm going to ask Dakota, like, Yo, Dakota, what's been going on with you this week? How you been? What's new? What's coming up on the horizon? Without going into too much detail, because we got to we're going to get there. Talk to me. So honestly, thank you for having me on the show, you and Tiffany. And I want to say that I can meet you guys for starting the podcast. So kudos to you guys. For me personally, I mean, my wife's been sick, my daughter, so taking care of them and Ooh. trying to get them well and healthy. I'm trying to stay well as well. Yes. And just working, trying to grow the business and just spend time with my family. I actually had a Christmas party here and at our place. So it was enjoyable last Saturday. So oh, yeah, good. thanks. Good, good. It's, it's always good to create memories, you know, like we're talking about money and all this stuff, but money is there to help create memories and experiences. So uh, kudos to you for having the party. I hope you went down. No one um, uh, no one got hurt in your party, wild party. That you <laughs> Did y'all do like a Christmas? Um, I mean, not Christmas. What is it called? White elephant? Did y'all do a white, a white elephant? Uh, is it similar to like a... Secret Santa? Secret Santa, yes. Or uh, Dirty Santa. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of Dirty Santa, but okay. Did you have one of those? Some iteration of that? No, actually, we had a, a contest for a cook-off. So whoever brought the best dish won a gift. So it was some dishes that were made, and we had three people win. One for appetizer and two for entrees. Oh, okay. My wife, she, it was her idea. So I give no. her props. Jamika Grady, she's cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, the whites always have these great ideas. So, I mean, it's always popping with, you know, so, okay. So we have a, we have a, we're having a Christmas party after Christmas. It's like a holiday party because it's right bet it's between Christmas and New Year's. It's my in-laws are having it. So we'll see. We supposed to have a white elephant situation where, and I thought white elephant was more so you have a, a uh, exchange of gifts and your gifts are all below or at a certain price point right and so if it's like really low it's kind of like a gag gift right it's like what is this i don't want this it's just something you're gonna throw away later um our our gifts quota or yeah is 20 or 25 dollars and i was like you know that's kind of high for a gag gift <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, the, I would go to the five and below the dollar store or whatever, you know, so we'll see what happens out of that. We're going to transition to our next uh, segment, which is, did you know? And in this, did you know, I'm glad I have the accounting and tax doctor here to kind of help us out because this is, we're in December of 2021, tax season is right around the corner and the purpose of this whole episode is to get us prepared for taxes. So the question that we have, and I looked at, I looked this up and I'm gonna have to share my screen. <clears throat> I got this information from, who is it from? Taxpayer Advocate Services. So the Taxpayer Advocate Services has all the statistics from the last filing, right? And so they have some interesting facts about the past filing and you know what it, it gives you statistics on how many people file what was the average adjustable income we're going to get into what that means uh what's the average return and things of that nature so the first quote is 
Uh, I'm going to share my screen with my buddy here so he can see what I'm looking at. Look at this number. Did you know that unprocessed returns in 2021 filing season was 35.3 million files or applications? up from 10.7 million in 2020. So tax doctor, what comes to your mind when you hear that stat? I hear a lot of people who are angry. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, exactly. exactly. I have a client who I filed his tax back in May <laughs> and he still hasn't got his return process yet. So he's probably one of the 35 million, let me say that 35.3 million people who need to have their return process. <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, I have a, um, a family member, too, who filed in, I think, the same time period, May. They decided to mail it in instead of doing Ooh. electronic. Oh, you're shaking your head. <laughs> they mailed it in and they're using it to leverage, you know, you, you know, your tax returns are used for, you know, getting loans and things like that. It's some, some other financial leverage. Well, they were in one of those processes where they're trying to get a loan, but they they were put on hold because their tax return hadn't been received yet. It's been over 12 months and they still haven't processed their 20 <laughs> their 2020 tax filings. Wow. So it's it's crazy. It's crazy. This is I may have it wrong. I may have, it may be the 2021. They told them it'll be another uh 16 weeks mm. 16 weeks it's four months <laughs> <laughs> give us another four months we'll have your tax return filed oh my goodness uh or process we'll have a process so look at look at this dakota it also says um looking at 2021 it says paper returns waiting processing from calendar year 2020 there was 1.1 million for calendar year 2021, 15.7 million returns. This is crazy. They're, they're really like, they're, they're having some trouble. All right. The next thing is, did you know, I'm gonna, it says here, 70% um, of individual income tax return had associated refunds with an average refund of $2,827. What do you think about that? Well, I had one client who was, was about that. It was like $2,200. So but that's one client. So it varies across the spectrum. But I'm sure that, I mean, this is pretty accurate if it's coming from the tax taxpayer advocate part of the yeah. IRS. So yeah, she's sure yeah. pretty accurate. Yeah. And so um, I, I got this theory. Okay, so last year too, in 2020, it says the tax return, average tax return was $2,748. Right, right. And last year, or 2021, was $2,827. Is it a good thing to have a tax refund? Well, let me explain. Basically, if you don't have enough taken out of your withholdings, whether you're a self-employed or, well, if you're an employee who have withholdings, but if you're self-employed, you do estimated tax payments or you pay the entire amount when taxes are due. If you don't pay enough tax, you owe tax. Mm -hmm. If you have too much taken out and you pay, and you get a refund. Now, sometimes you may get a child tax credit 
and may get some refundable tax credits as well. So you can have no tax, but then you get credits to basically give you a refund. Mm -hmm. So getting a refund means that you're basically, if you put too much tax in with no credits, for example, say you're single and you put, you had too much withheld from your income, you're loaning the government money without getting interest, basically. So when you go mm -hmm. to the bank and get a loan, banks make money off of interest. So you pay your principal back plus interest. That's how banks get paid. Well, the government is basically loaning your money to the government without the government paying you interest. So it's interest-free loan to the government, in other words. So to answer the question, if you don't like paying, getting not getting paid for it, people taking your money and using it, then it's not a good thing. <laughs> and most people don't like that, so I would say no. <laughs> well, I don't think a lot of people understand that that will that's what's happening. Like, I think in the black and brown communities of middle to low income families, we have been just taught, hey, put whatever withholding that allows you not to pay. And we've traveled to the extreme of, okay, not paying means I just put um, all of this money, I, I my withholding is like a zero or one, because you can select a numeric value and they take the most out of it so that you don't have to pay the IRS. And that leads into, like you said, giving us a, or giving the government a loan without getting any interest back on it. I think we have been naturally programmed, taught initially, don't be in a situation where you have to pay the IRS. That fear, I think, has caused us to not think of, wait a minute, and what you just described, why, is this really a refund? This is, well, a refund is really money given back to me that I paid. And we stopped thinking like that because of initial fear. We don't want to owe anyone. And so, so my next question to you, tax doctor, is can someone not owe but still pay taxes? Like when they were filed, they're, they don't get anything back. They don't get a, you know, they don't owe anything, but they don't, they don't get a refund. Is that possible? So in that case, if someone looked at a prior return and the situation hadn't changed, say the filing status hadn't changed, income levels had stayed about the same, haven't had any, say, any major changes in their life, say having a child, if they had the same situation or similar situation to their prior year, and say if they want to say, all right, well, if nothing's really changed, I'm going to have the same amount withheld from my taxes, and they may not owe taxes. So there are situations we could. Another one could be if you have a business and you do estimate tax payments through the year and you estimate them pretty accurately, you can have the same situation where you don't owe tax because you put in through the year every quarter, meaning every April, June, September, and January of the, of the following year, you're paying basically one-fourth of, well, one of what you estimated to pay. Mm -hmm. And that's how you do with estimated tax payments for business owners. So those are two ways I think that you could mean either whether you're an employee or you're self-employed, basically just estimating what you pay last year owed and you pay the same or roughly the same amount in the current year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know if, I think that's also a thing where people is like, I don't want to try to figure out the math. So I'm just going to put zero for my withholding and let them take as much as they can. And I'll just wait till February and it'll be my second, it'll be Christmas in February or Christmas in March. I think that's how people kind of like look at it. So um, that means to, to me, 
that sounds like we're not preparing. Well, I like, mean, like if you I mean, if you look at your last year return and see what you actually had, because this is what I do taxes. You look look at the last year return to compare to make sure you're not missing any deductions or anything that was taken last prior year to compare the two returns. Because if something's missing, you want to go back and ask the taxpayer, well, did you get the particular document? So if someone may get interest dividends, you know, for example, uh, interest in them may get some dividends, for example. So if they get a statement, say, 1099 DIV, then they didn't get it this year. So you want to question, say, all right, did you get a dividend this year? If not, then that's fine. But if you did, we need the statement so we can put the dividend on your tax, tax return. So this comparing the two would be a way. And I would say in the black and brown communities, I would say that, I mean, we may have like a lot of children. <laughs> like my, my mom and dad have seven kids. <laughs> That's a lot of kids. Right. <laughs> my mother only had one. She had me, Uno. <laughs> no, my right. dad actually has five. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so that way, I mean, with the earned, well, you basically, if you have low income, you can probably get the earned income tax credit. So you're making wages and then you can get, you know, if your income level is a certain level, you can get a, tax, get a refundable tax credit for that. And then if you have children, you can get a child tax credit. So of course that has changed recently, but that's also another way that you can basically offset what you owe and then hopefully get a refund back. Because basically with credits, you have deductions and credits. The deduction basically is not dollar for dollar. So you may get a deduction for, say, I'm going to give an example, for medical expenses. Now the cap for 2021 is you can deduct 7.5% of your expenses that's above your AGI, your adjusted cost income. So if you have $100,000, for example, and you got expenses of basically you got to, anything above $7,500, you can deduct. So it's not dollar for dollar, but credits are dollar for dollar. So if you get, say, for instance, the child tax credit, it's dollar. So if you owe $2,000 in taxes, right, where you got a child, it's going to offset that. So you have no tax due because mm. credits are dollar for dollar compared to deductions. Ooh, so it's better to have credits than deductions. Well, it's good to have both, but if you have yeah. a, if you have credits, man, you can get those basically wipe out your taxes. Your tax obligations, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's it's it seems like you have to be intentional and conscientious of what your tax situation is without throughout the whole year. And that right. brings us that brings us to our topic of the day, preparing for the tax season. All right, so um, our topic of the day, preparing for the tax season, Dakota Grady, the accounting tax doctor, he's going to give us some tips. I got a set of questions, but he's going to just give us some tips on, on what we should do to prepare and, and actually win this tax season, whether winning in your eyes is getting a refund, which we already kind of talked about earlier, is not a, a refund, is a money given back to you, or not paying anything. And maybe we'll get into uh, if you have to owe, what can you do with those situations? We kind of talked about this already. Um, tell me what changes are coming for personal filers? All right. So, yes, I mean, one that I mentioned earlier with the itemized deductions. So with the job, the tax cuts and jobs at 20, I think 2018 or 19, it basically eliminated a lot of deductions for person, like individuals. Yeah. So, for example, like if you think it was a, reimbursed like employee expenses that's gone mm-hmm. okay deduct that if you want to deduct any move, move expenses that's gone unless you're part of the military 
and then even tax preparation fees, that's, that's, no, that's no, no longer available to individuals. Okay. But again, with the medical expense deduction, it was 10% of AGI that you could do anything above that, but now it's 7.5%. So they made the threshold lower. So you can basically get a deduction for your medical and dental expenses. So if you itemize, well, I'm going to say that the standard deduction has changed from 2020 to 2021 based on your filing status, whether you're single, married, filing jointly, married, filing separately, head household, and qualifying widower, a widow. So those amounts have changed. I'm going to give you an example for married, filing jointly. Like Jason and I, we're both married. So the increased amount of the deduction is 24800 for 2020. Now it's $25,100. So that amount has increased. So how it works for deductions and itemizations, basically on your tax return, you take the higher of the two. And that's what you can deduct. So if your itemizations such as medical or any given expenses that you have, if they exceed 7.5% of just gross income, you can deduct that, right? If they exceed $25,100, you can deduct that for itemizations. If not, then it's basically gonna calculate the standard deduction for you and your spouse. And it's also more advantageous to file married filing separate, uh, married file jointly compared to separately because the threshold for the standard deduction is lower. So mm. standard deduction for a single person is $12,550. It says the same thing for a married file separately, $12,550. So you get a higher deduction if you file married filing jointly. And I know some people may not want to file because they, whether well, it's the one spouse may have an amount that's past due, for example, for taxes. And mm-hmm. when they get a refund, the money they get back goes towards the person's debt. And the person, the other spouse doesn't like that, so they file separately. But what they could do is file an injured spouse, basically an injured spouse form, and basically it'll protect the person who owes or doesn't owe from having their taxes or the refund taken, basically. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's, that, that is, I think, a fear. And of a lot of people like, oh, no, 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 no. It's kind of like taking on student debt of your spouse. You guys right. got married. <laughs> Everything became one. Right. So it should have been became one. So when you're pulling all your resources together, you taking on the good and the bad when you said I do. <laughs> but when we come to filing, it was like, nah, Joker, I don't want, I don't want the IRS after me and my social security number. So Tell me specifically again, what is it that they can do if someone, if my my partner or spouse has uh, a negative tax situation where they probably owe, they've been owing for some years. I don't want to file with them, but I know that I'm take if I don't file with them, I'm getting a lower um, tax deduct uh, standard uh, tax deduction rate. But if I do file, I can I can take advantage of that. How do I protect myself? Tell me again, what is that specific thing that they have to do to get that protection? So it's called the injured spouse allocation and it's form 8379. And basically it protects the person who doesn't owe taxes. Say one spouse owes tax and the other one doesn't. Basically say, all right, I want to get a refund, but I don't want this my refund to go toward my husband and my spouse. I want to get my part back. And then his portion and her portion goes toward the taxes. Actually, I had one client that did that earlier this year. I think one guy, I think the husband owed child support, I believe, and the wife didn't. So they filed their, filed their return for them with their return. Yo, yo, that, that that is such a great gem. I thank you for that. People, 
Form 8379, tell your tax pro about it. Man, because when you said the guy had, uh, when you said the guy had passed child support due, that <laughs> is like common. Like, oh, homie just don't have, he didn't pay his, you know, you got married, you knew, you knew he had baby mamas. And so now you're like, eh, I don't want to deal with that because it's going to mess up my taxes and I'm liking right. my refunds, even though, in my opinion, refunds are not, you know, the ideal. But now you can have a way to protect yourself. So great stuff. Thank you, Dakota, for that. Let's keep it moving. Um, so I assume you've seen that in, in the Black community where people have 10 baby mamas i'm joking but you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i haven't seen someone with 10 well i, I take that back it's been more or, uh, it's been a lot i've seen a couple people yeah but right. it's common in the black and brown community that we're not educated to know that there's tax that you don't have to forfeit benefits because of your situation Right. If you if you're educated, like we just got educated, you can still take advantage of um, uh, benefits that are out there for you and not have right. to suffer, you know. So great. All right. The next question is, is it easier than since they did increase the standard deductible like you talked about? Is it easier to file on your own? Or do you still need to get a tax pro? I think it's good to hire somebody. <laughs> Again, so for example, if someone tried to do, if I had a couple, right? Mm-hmm. I've used my client, for example. They're in Tennessee and they have thing like maybe combined, maybe like 10 children. I mean, like seriously, they got a lot of kids. Okay, all right. Yeah, wow. so they got a lot of kids. And then, the, then they didn't get the impact, economic impact, impact payment, stimulus check. I think the husband didn't get it. And then they also had the business. What else did they have? Oh, and then the child support. So what if the person tried to do it on their own mm-hmm. and they missed that, that form? I mean, they, they basically knew about it, but they were saying that they filed it in the past. So, all right. So I said, all right, I'll file it again for you guys. But what if they didn't know to file that form? And then yeah. the money would have went to his tax due for the child support. So having somebody knowledgeable about that is important. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I can know I change the oil in my car, but I don't like cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> so I hire somebody to do that. I can do it. I don't want to be cold, sit slam on the ground or change the oil. Yeah. Brakes, yeah, that's true. Right. I mean, my brakes, the front brakes are like the easier than the back brakes, but I'm not an expert. So when I change my oil, my, my brakes in the past, that is, not now, my dad helped me or my brother helped me. I'm not an expert in that. So now I would hire somebody. So the point of this is if you need smart to do your taxes for you, yes, you're smart enough to do them. Yes, you are. I'm not saying you aren't, but why not hire a pro who works on your behalf in case something happens and you need to have something rectified or you may be missing deductions mm-hmm. or credits that you don't know about or yeah. even maybe informs it you know, for that matter. So I would recommend hire somebody. Now, is it is it typical that when you hire someone, are there different degrees of professionals and their service offer to people in the sense like i'm thinking like there's a segment of people who just they'll they'll just crank out 10 1040 forms they just crank it out but then there's someone who kind of walks you through your situation learns about it and then kind of helps you plan for the next year 
So if that's if that's what you want, tell me what should or how should someone choose a tax professional? Well, it depends because if someone wants to return down quickly, most more likely they'll go to say an H and R block or a Liberty Tax. I'm not hating on them, but you know, they may be churning out 1040s. But they'll pay a lot of money for it. I think they may charge per page, something like that, some ridiculous amount. Wow. Again, I'm not hating, but I'm just saying, I mean, that's what I've heard. But then you also have the person who may owe tax or, or they may be getting a refund, right? A bigger refund because, I mean, if we're talking about black and brown communities. And then what may happen is they may get a loan quickly to get the refund back. So they get a loan and get the money back. And once the refund comes in, they just repay it back. And then they may also get their pay. It may not have the money to pay for the return. So they get the money taken out of the return. So return is reduced. Mm-hmm. So if they want that, they that, that kind of person, they want something done quickly, that's fine. For someone to just do it, not really ask a lot of questions, except for standard ones, that's cool. But if they want somebody to take the time to answer a question and get to know the person, and then not only one time, event but an ongoing relationship and i mean hire somebody who has good service who v- communicates who over communicates i should say email text call in person mm. zoom or get somebody who's going to serve you and has your best interest at heart same thing for me h no block may have the same thing that may have your interest at heart it just depends on what the client wants so i'm here to serve people so it's h no block but we may have different goals or different value systems so it just depends on the person yeah. but i mean if you want somebody who's going to serve you my business service is one reason why i focus on i mean services are very important like service is very important like i communicate with my clients i got to go to communicate with them between 24 and 48 hours because it's it's pivotal for me to let them know what's going on in the situation ask questions and get answers to the question if i don't know something i research it to find out or find somebody else who I know who may be smarter than me to get the right, answer. Right, right. No, that's that's good. That's good. So, so everyone, if you're considering it, definitely do your due diligence research, ask questions. Um, let me ask you this. What type of questions should someone, they were trying to pick and choose a tax pro, what kind of questions should they ask? So I would say, well, I know people ask, oh, are you a CPA? Well, People, what is a CPA? Like what they do, what they, so CPA is a certified public accountant and that person, he or she has experience is one or two years working up under another CPA. They have gone to school for a bachelor's degree or even a master's degree. And they're taking a four part rigorous test to get the credential. So they can, they have the due diligence, the due diligence, the education, the experience to serve you. Some clients may need a CPA, some may not. The difference between a CPA and non-CPA is a CPA can do audits and reviews. Basically, they can review a company financial statements and give them, give the company an opinion whether the financials are in adherence to accounting standards. That's simple. An audit is more in-depth than a review, but it's the same process. It just lowers fewer tests done in terms of testing the financials for review than compared to an audit. Yeah. So CPAs may do audits, reviews, taxes, bookkeeping, advisory, payroll, Tax sales taxes, they may do all those things, or they may not. It just depends. So research that. Now, someone like me, I don't have a CPA license, but I have experience. I work for CPAs. I have a bachelor's degree, and I have clients. I'm on business. I've been doing accounting taxes since 2012, so I have experience. So it's be for itself. So it just depends on what people what people want. 
because some people want a CPA, not knowing what a CPA is, but it just hurts my say, I need a CPA, but they don't understand what a CPA does or what he or she does or what they stand for, but that's what they want, just like a doctor. Some people don't want to see the practitioner, they want to see the doctor, same thing. Yeah, so what I hear is like, okay, find out what your what do you want from a client, I mean, from a tax pro, whether you want to have strategy or just get it done and over with, and where do you feel more comfortable with uh, credentials behind their name or whatever? But in any case, you said it before, service is key. Do your due diligence and researching if that tax pro is giving good service through customer feedback or some other kind of like better business bureau type thing. And that's, that, that is a one way you can improve your tax situation going forward. Cool. So if you happen to venture off and do your own because you think you're smart, you know, I'm not knocking that because I do my own. Um, I am the wallet coach, uh, but I have used I have used others before. And every year I had to make that decision. Am I going to use somebody this year or not? Probably this year I'm going to use someone because, like you said, I don't want I don't have time. <laughs> I don't want to have to focus two, three, four, five, maybe six hours on doing my own taxes, even though they have software and stuff like that. And it's like, but also I value having that conversation and strategizing. And I'm asking the tax pro, yo, how do I get from here to here? I'm planning on doing X, Y, Z in 2022. I don't want to pay a boo cool taxes. Not avoid, not, not, not trying to avoid taxes, but minimize my taxes. And they will give me some tips on how to do that. So, you know, especially as doing a person who has a nine to five plus the side businesses and things like that, I think it's kind of worth it for me. That's just me. Um, the other thing I thought about was uh, when I was doing it by myself, I didn't know a couple of things and I had to do some research and all that research, like I said, leads up to hours. So I'm going to ask you, for those who are going to try to do this on their own, help them understand the first step in filing is understanding what filing status you have, right? right so right. what's the difference between filing head of household and single? You rattled them off earlier, but let's, let's take them once. Let's compare, contrast. What's the difference between head of household versus single? So single person, in terms of status, I mean, they got a standard deduction of 12550 Head of household, 18800 So the difference is Ooh. there already. Because whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's like a three hundred dollar difference. No, it's actually like about five five fifty, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So single is twelve five fifty, mm-hmm. and then head of household is eighteen eight hundred. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll just, okay. So basically, head of household is someone who they own a they own their own home and they mm-hmm. pay for it. Basically, they can show that they pay for it, and they have somebody who is maybe a qualifying child or dependent who lives with them. Mm-hmm. Single person just single. <laughs> don't have any deduction. I mean, don't have any children or anybody taking care of just them, him, him or her. And basically, like they have to, the head of household had to show that they've taken care of the person that they, like the foster child, stepchild, or the child, paying for more than half of their their upkeep, in other words, yeah. and their home as well. Mm. So they got to show that, and then yeah, just that they, they've been self-sufficient, in other words. So is it that you have to own a home to to do head of household or can you just rent an apartment or something? 
Yeah, so basically, I mean, if you have a mortgage or rent, I mean, it's basically the upkeep for, I guess, a home, you know, your abode. Okay, so so you can be you can be a single mother who's taking care of her kids or a single father, single parent taking care of their kids in an apartment. You can still file head of household. All right. Yeah, because it's your boat. It, it's not it has to be like a home that you own per se, but it's your boat. That sounds like that's what every single parent should be doing. Like that's well, the, I mean, like, well, and also I think it, it's another thing where if there is like sharing of of a child, for example, because some people you know in the black folks, you know, we one year one parent files or take the deduction <laughs> another next year. It's like <laughs> you share the kids on a different the right. Thing. If single parents is like, no, this year you get John, then next year I'm gonna get John on my tax. I got All you. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's basically like, yeah, it's, you have to say if have to just distinguish that. Like, are you taking care of the child? Are you paying more than fifty percent of his or her upkeep? And then are you taking care of your home as well? That's yeah. basically what it is. And that single person doesn't have any of that. Well, let's go into now Mary filing joint versus married filing separate. We kind of talked about it a little bit earlier uh, in our did you know, but kind of elaborate a little bit more on what the difference in filing married jointly versus filing married separate. So with that, I mean, standard deduction is 12,100 for joint. Dakota just misspoke. He meant to say 25,100. Jointly and then separate is 12,550. Same as a single, mm-hmm. basically. And then I think with that, if you also do that, you can't, if you're one person itemizes, then you, you can't get the same deduction. You got to also itemize. Okay. So even though you may have a higher itemization, so you may have an itemization of $14,000, right? 14, 14K. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't get that deduction because your other spouse or the spouse, other spouse has claimed the itemization. So you got to do the itemization too. You can't do the same deduction. And this is if you're filing jointly or separate? Oh, separately. Separately, okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, I actually wow. have a so, like that. So her husband, I think he files, he itemizes. And I mean, it may be, say, a little itemization. So she can't indeed send a deduction because her husband itemizes too. So it kind of locks it in. Like you got to do the same thing the other, other one does. Even though you're filing, you got to do the same thing the other person does, even though you're filing separate. Wow. Because like, to me, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, to me, it seems like, all right, my husband, he can itemize his stuff, but I'm just going to take the standard deduction because I know I don't have that much to itemize. And then boom, we're, that's what we, that's what happens. But you're saying like, no, if one person does one thing, y'all both y'all both have to be in sync and do the same thing. Because you're still married. Because it's it's, as if if you were filing jointly, you're going to either take one or the other together, mm-hmm. not separately. Yeah. Wow. So then I'm I'm. St- I'm still trying to figure out now that we know about what, what's the advantage of filing separate, married filing separate, especially if you can have the injured uh, spouse uh, form 8379 to cover your spouse's delinquent taxes for you. This is interesting. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so you kind of touched on a little bit something. My next question was like one parent claims Johnny and another parent in one year the next parent the other parent claims them the following year there's that seems like it's fraud so (laughs) so one is that fraud and two how can someone know if their file their tax file has been uh 
fraud, uh, fraudulent filed? All right. So <laughs> great questions. Basically, like when you do the due diligence as a tax preparer, the person has to say if, if one person has joint has custody of the child, they have to basically write a statement and say, I'm giving my custody up for this person to the other mm. to the other parent, in other words. And then to ask your second question, the way you find out somebody fraudulently file your return, say you try to file a return. And then it would if I say if I file you and Tiffany's, right? And somebody had already filed you guys a return. It would come back as rejected and basically get a message saying it had already been filed. Okay. So or said about it, said about the IRS. So that would be bad news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So can you how okay? So can we do that before we file? And then what can we do to prevent it? I guess so I mean if it happens, I mean you won't know until you actually file it, somebody file uh, yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, unless right. unless there was some kind of other fraudulent activity, so they may have broken to your bank account and stole money out. That, I mean, that could be one way, you know, is it possibly somebody had your information or somebody may have bought something in your name or maybe got a credit card, something like that. Something that's fraudulent that you didn't do. Maybe you got a cell phone in your name or, again, got into your bank account and spent money. So those are some things that you could be aware of. And then when something like that happens, I would say be proactive and get ID theft protection where somebody can mm. work on your behalf. And you not have to go clean up the nonsense. <laughs> right. The nonsense facts for sure. Um, Cause it's, it's people out there trying to, especially with those uh, economic impact payments, um, trying to get over on people. How are the economic impact payments affecting this coming 2022 filing season? Honestly, like I didn't see any new things coming up on that for, 2021. So you mean like the 2021 filing season? Is that yeah. what you referring to? Yeah. yeah you know, like, like when people, yeah, starting in 2022, when people start filing, what should they expect? How did how did the the economic impact of STEMI checks in, are going to impact you filing this coming season? I assume that it may be something on return that may say, did you get one? And if not, then are you going to claim it? I assume it will be similar to 2020, but I don't see it. I mean, I didn't see anything like that in terms of on the the update. The, the presenter he didn't mention anything about it. Not that I can recall. Okay. So then, what what about this? Um, are we gonna? What's gonna happen with this uh, advanced child tax credit that people are getting like two fifty per child or something like that a month? What's going to happen with that? And so in order to get the other half of your child tax credit, basically, or advanced child tax credit, say, the advance would be, was the ones you got every single month, depending on how many children you had. If you had a child, a child I'm going to use one child who was under age six, you got $1,300, and you basically divide it by six, and then basically $300 every month. And then if you had a child older than six, it was $3,000. So basically, it should be like $250, I guess, per month. Mm-hmm. So in order to get the other half of that, you got to file your tax return. <laughs> got to file it. That's it. That's it. Got to file it because, I mean, you can't claim it unless you file your return. Okay. So let's so, go force people to file a return. Not, right? Right. But also we got to tell people, uh, electronic file, please. Don't do the paper. Don't do the paper. Yes. E-file. Electronic file. Don't do paper because I think it was off air we talked about that. Somebody had, well, no, maybe on air. But anyway. Somebody mailed a 
return and you said another four weeks or four months before they can have a process yeah 16 That's weeks yeah right, yeah right. 16 16 yeah that was that was them that was them um dang so if you don't file you don't you miss out and but you got that would you if you don't file would you have to pay that money back is that because that's i think that's one of someone's fear like hey this child tax credit that i've been given was 300 dollars or 250 for the last six months it's not going to continue into 2022 but am i going to have to pay back the 250 for six months or 300 for six months back to the irs no, it's not a loan. It's basically an advance of what you would get when you file your taxes. Okay. Okay. So cool. Cool. All right. So not to worry about that. No fear. Cool. 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 Um, any other tips you want to share with us or things we need to be prepared for, look out for in this coming tax season? Yes. Yeah, so I would say one thing is cryptocurrency. Coinbase mm. is where people can get crypto, whether it be Bitcoin or Dogecoin or other, other coins out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It remind me actually it remind me of like Mario Brothers. You remember the coins? <laughs> <laughs> that is it floating, right? You got do, right. Do, do, do. all right. But now cryptocurrency is considered property, so it's taxable to you. So if you get paid for services in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, it's taxable income. Ooh. It's property. So people are you know getting Bitcoin and say if they're a, a program and they get data mining and they get coins, that's income to them. Or if they're working and someone pays them in Bitcoin, that's income they have to report to the IRS. In fact, basically the IRS would now they're requiring Coinbase to report their activity for you know, to the IRS, so they can let people know. All right, yeah, it's like an exchange, like stock exchange. Yeah. So I, that, I was, I'm glad you mentioned the last part that the IRS is forcing the um, the distributors to report back to the IRS because I was going to say like, how is the IRS going to know that I got you know, 15,000 in Bitcoin or right. in, coin, in crypto. Exactly. They're not going to know unless, like you said, the distributors are showing their activity and uh, Dakota got 15,000, Jason got 10,000. Exactly. And, and so now if, if I'm reading this right, then when I file my return and they see that my income is 15 or $10,000 shorter than what it, they had anticipated, I might get flagged, right? Yeah, because I think they're going to send out a letter showing, I think it's 6716. I don't remember the letter, but I think it's a letter people will be getting notifying that they have some activity for cryptocurrency, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So crypto is being, they finally found a way to, to tax crypto. Yes. And it's because it's, it's a capital asset. If it's a capital asset in the hands of the taxpayer, yes. either long term or short term capital gains. Yeah. So explain what capital asset means. So a capital asset is something like a house, something that you own that you can sell and it appreciates in value. So mm. stocks, houses, I would say, I mean, maybe even things luxury, like maybe a diamond ring, something that has a lot of value, a building. If you're selling it and it appreciates in value, it's capital asset. So that means uh, those uh, this, this new term I'll keep hearing recently is NFTs. So eventually NFTs is going to become taxable too, because it sounds, it fits the criteria of a capital asset. Well, actually, I mean, that would consider that a digital currency. So I read oh, it has a, a definition for, yeah, digital currency. Yes. So it will be in the same, same under, under the same criteria as cryptocurrency. Mm, digital currency. Mm -hmm. NFTs falls under that. Wow. Okay. 
Um, so I'm gonna be honest with the with with the audience here because I, I want to say this because I really feel based on our conversation now with um, our tax doctor, I do this and I want to give y'all some tips. This is you don't have to follow this, but what I do is I aim to have no tax payment uh, on my tax return. So I don't I don't look to get a refund. And you may say, well, what if you, oh, what if you miscalculate? That's why I trust a tax pro or I just get set, second set of eyes on doing it if I did it myself. The reason why I wanted to explain this, the reason why is what Dakota said earlier is that I don't want to give someone a loan and not get any return on it. Like we got to get out of the mentality of not, not, not mentality. We need to get, we need to advance or enhance our, 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 our economic or financial IQ. Like you want to receive interest, not pay interest, mm. right? So why am I, even if you put that money into the bank and get 0.01%, you're at least receiving interest. And it's kind of reminds me of the Bible is like the, the gifts of the talents that Jesus was like, hey, I'm gonna give all these, I'm gonna give these five guys different portions right and y'all go do something he's he's wanted us to he's given us resources to put in our hands so that it multiplies and one of those jokers out of the five was like right, hey you gave me this resource i don't know what to do with it i'm just gonna put it in the ground and just at least give it back to you when it's when it's time and when the you know when the owner came back and he gave him the one talent back he was like dude that was foolish of you you at least could have put it in the bank and got some interest so for me it's like, yo, why not think of like, how can we multiply? How can we increase? How can we, you know, advance and not just be, you know, advancing is not getting a refund. And that's the, the I'm going to blow that myth up. Ad advancing economically is not getting a, in, uh, a refund, especially if you get that refund, right? Because you pay in advance and you get this, this is my little rant. And you get this advance and you just go now, go buy consumer items. TV, car, uh, clothes, or you go on vacation. Like, yeah, the money is used for those things, but you kind of missed out in the whole year before that, the other 12 months, you were penny pinching from month to month. So in my philosophy, what I do, and I'm gonna get the tax doctor's uh, opinion on this. I try to not owe at the end of the year. If I do owe, it's a very, like, it's less than a hundred dollars. But if I do, um, if I do have to get a return, it's going to be around $200. So I'm trying to like plus or minus $200 I'm cool with because I want to maximize my net pay from my earned income. What does that mean? I want to have my paycheck as fat as possible. <laughs> I want to have my check as fat as possible so that I can do more now over the course of 12 months versus taking a lump sum in one month and it's just going, just blowing my mind with it. What do you think about that? I agree because some people may be living on the edge throughout the year and waiting for the refund to come back to be the lifeline opposed to planning for the year, using the money, maximizing the money through the year to live the life that they want opposed to struggling. And then in terms of refunds, I agree with you. I mean, you want to owe, if you owe, don't owe a buttload of money, and don't get a buttload of money back. Just owe, like you said, a little bit of money 
Oh, oh, you get a little bit of bet. The whole point is to try to break even if you can. Can't break it, break even. If you get a large refund, cool. But next year, try to just make some some calculations to get a better, smaller refund if possible or none. And use the money wisely. Don't blow it on jewelry, cards, clothes, the thing Jason mentioned. Because as black folks, I'm going to do my rant too. <laughs> we are consumers and making everybody else rich. Like I said, mm-hmm. banks, I mean, black folks, man, we, we know how to borrow money. When you borrow money, you're making somebody else rich. Like Jason said, you want to be able to get interest instead of paying interest. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> I'll well, stop there. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, it's just making better decisions. Right. And we're not, yeah, go ahead. So before we close, I want to say this right here. One way people can reduce the tax bank account, this is one secret. Start a business. Hmm. Because you can deduct more things as a business owner than you can as an employee. Because again, you remember, I mentioned earlier, it took away those deductions as for individuals mostly. Now you can get the medical deduction, your home mortgage deduction, and charitable contributions mostly. That's what you can get. But more likely, those amounts won't be more or be equal to your standard deduction. So start a business so you can get deductions, so you can have a lower taxable income for you and your family. Enjoy your life and the money that you've worked hard to earn. I love that. I love that. I'm going to share a secret too with people. I was just telling you guys, like I try to break even. Um, and you, if you don't, if you're still shying away from this great tip that the tax doctor just gave us on opening a business, can you get more tax deductions and you know, less you have a lower probably threshold for a lower tax obligation at the end of the year. Another way, if you choose not to do that and go into just be an earned income person, which means you receive a paycheck from a W-2 kind of thing, there is a way where you can still try to break even. And one tip is really is out here. Um, You can just go to the IRS website, irs.gov, and do a search under pay. It says tax withholding estimator. Literally, I use this every year to see what should be my what, what should be on my withholding uh, document, and it kind of has a bar graph to kind of measure. All right, if if you if you just take whatever you did from from the prior year and put it into the estimator, it'll say this is what your estimated return will be or amount that you owe. But if there's a toggle button that goes left to right that you can use to say, to, to get to that break even point where it says, well, your estimated return is zero. That's what I try to shoot for. And then it gives me, okay, if you wanted zero as your return, here are the, here's the number that you need to put down for your tax withholdings. So that's a tip that I use. Hopefully you guys use the tax doctor's tip as well to start a business. I mean, be a contractor, whatever. So Dakota, man, thank you so much. I think we got a lot out of this. Uh, people, we're not trying to come down or, or stray you down a certain path, but we want you to think differently, you know? So thank you, Dakota, for coming out. We appreciate you. Um, at Wallet Coach, we have this saying, it's not what you make, it's what you do with what you make. So if you change your mind, you change your wallet, you change your life. Go do it. Go change. Make better decisions. Have better conversation. This is Jason Alexander, The Wallet Talks. I'm out.